Hello, hello, hello. Good Monday morning to you. I hope you are finding this Monday to be a good start to the week. Welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. I am thrilled to be back occupying a, a part of your brain for just a little bit this morning. You've got me for the next hour. We have a phenomenal show. And for those of you who are new to the show, this is a show about idealism, what I call practical idealism, about idealists about trying to make the world a better place, about social justice, all kinds of things. But the highlight is about idealism. And again, regular listeners, just bear with me. You know, new listeners, my name is Ellie. You're hearing what sounds like a dude's voice. Sorry about that. But I am one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. And there you go. We have a kick-bang, phenomenal show today. And our theme... Our theme today is about the intersection between idealism and religion, and religious fervor to a certain extent, maybe. Um, and so we have, I have, a, we're, I'm, I'm going to highlight, as I usually do, um, an idealist. Um, we have a really wonderful interview with uh, my Buddhist uh, teacher, and then I will talk uh, at the end of the show um, a, a little bit about an experience I had at a church recently um, where I spoke. But let's begin with um, our idealist um, for this week, and that is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, many of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his name, um, but a lot of you are not, and I'll tell you, I did not, I knew the name, but I did not know what he stood for or what he represented. And so let me give it to you quickly here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Germany and uh, grew up in a family with uh, some affluence, um, a son of, um, uh, of parents who had a number of different children. I think it was nine. And, um, but he, he turned out to be a, project, a prodigy, but a religious prodigy. So by the age of 21, he had already accumulated his BA, his master's, and his PhD PhD in theology in Germany. In fact, he had acquired that still too young to be ordained as a, um, as a pastor in the Lutheran Church. And so in um, 1930, um, when he was uh, 24, he went to the United States to study at New York's Union Theolo Theological Seminary. And for Bonhoeffer, this was actually quite a life-changing experience. And as we talk about idealists, very often idealists have some kind of a watershed moment that causes them to reevaluate how they look at the world. And for Bonhoeffer, while he was at a Union Theological Seminary in New York City, he met a, a, an African-American seminarian by the name of... Um, uh, Frank Fisher, and Fisher introduced him to the black churches in Harlem. And you had this German, Bonhoeffer, um, teaching Sunday school in a black church and learning about African-American spirituals, where um, that happened to be something that really grounded him for the rest of his life. He heard Adam Clayton Powell Sr. Uh, speak about the, the gospel of social justice, and Bonhoeffer became sensitive to not only social injustices experienced by minorities, but also the ineptitude of the church about bringing integration between people with resources and those with not. And Bonhoeffer, for the first time, began to see things that he described as, quote, from the below, unquote, um, about having now a perspective about what it meant to suffer oppression and about the need to speak up about that oppression using the gospel, relying on Christ as a mechanism to talk about how to protect those who have no longer voices. And so he did that. He then went back to Germany, and you may recall from your history that in the early 1930s was the beginning of Adolf Hitler. And, and I'm going to say parenthetically here, we have a lot of parallels between the 30s and what's going on in our country right now. Hitler understood that one way to um, cement his authoritarianism was to get into the churches. And he developed a strong relationship with some of religious leaders in Germany. 
Uh, so much so that when in 1932 and 33, when the um, German Protestant churches were selecting their leaders, Hitler engineered that Nazis would lead um, in many of the synods uh, in Germany. Bonhoeffer saw this happening, and he spoke out early. Now, remember, um, he is a very young man, and um, he, he's 27 years old, and he is speaking out about Hitler and the things that um, Hitler is, um, and warning the German people against uh, idolation of Hitler as a way, as, because he knew that if, if everything turned simply on the personality of a man, that the whole country could pivot in a horrible way. And so um, one of the remarkable things about Bonhoeffer is that uh, in the spring of 1933, he was giving a speech uh, on a radio about against uh, Hitler. And, the, and uh, suddenly in mid-sentence, the radio went dead. He wasn't able to complete the speech. Um, by the September of 1933, as Hitler was really cementing his power, it became clear that there were only some German synods um, in the Protestant church that were not going along with Nazi, Nazification. I think if that's even a word. Thank you, Ellie. And, um, and so Bonhoeffer went to rural areas of Germany to, um, to preach and to help build a base of people that supported his work. Um, eventually, they, um, he helped build um, a, um, a, a form of uh, uh, breakaway, f- that's not the right phrase, but he built, he built what's called the Confessing Church, which was a sect out of the mainstream Protestant church in Germany because the Confessing Church were people that did not accept Adolf Hitler as the, as the spiritual head of Germany. I've got to bring you very quickly because this is a long story. Um, in the in the early in the mid 1930s, Bonhoeffer went to London to study, and he was there, and he had the opportunity to, to stay in London, even though he knew what was going on in Germany, how Germany was being manipulated by the Nazis, and yet Bonhoeffer went back to Germany because he believed he had to act. He had to act in a way to protect those, including Jews, um, who had no voices, and um, and so he went back to uh, he went back to Germany. He engaged in underground seminaries in the late 30s, and then he went to the United States in 1938, back to uh, study at um, in New York City, and again he had the opportunity to stay away from danger, and yet. He went back to Germany because he felt that he had an obligation to Germans. Fast forward to uh, the late uh, uh, 30s, early 40s, Bonhoeffer becomes a spy, believe it or not, for the German um, intelligence apparatus. The idea was he was entered that spot, the spy system because he had a protector, and they thought that that would be the best way to keep him from Nazi, um, uh, Nazi authorities and from being drafted. And as a spy, he reached out. Um, he was a double spy, as it turns out, double agent. He reached out to um, the Allies at the beginning of World War II to talk about German resistance. Unfortunately, the Allies did not listen to him. Bonhoeffer, um, on, a, on more than one occasion, helped rescue Jews from Germany. He helped get them to Switzerland. Eventually, he was found out about that, and he was imprisoned. Because he was part of this spy apparatus, in this intelligence apparatus in Germany that had turned against the Nazi um, establishment, he was implicated in the um, attempted uh, assassination of Hitler in 1944. Um, and Hitler understood that Bonhoeffer and others, part of this uh, German intelligence apparatus, had plotted against him. Bonhoeffer was arrested Eventually, Bonhoeffer was executed in April of 1945, literally as Allied forces were marching towards Berlin. Bonhoeffer is remembered as somebody who was not afraid to act on his beliefs that people needed to be protected. He was the epitome of an idealist. He was somebody who helped to teach us about the need for all of us to speak up 
about injustice. And um, he was someone who has been memorialized in Germany as a hero, who spoke against tyranny, who stood up for tyranny, and who paid the ultimate price for speaking up. That is what idealists do. When we come back from our break, I have a wonderful guest, my teacher from the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center, Busho Lang, who will be our, my guest for the interview. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com or email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. I love hearing from my listeners. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you. Get your windows washed before the fall rush. Blue Sky Services' final sale before fall is this month only, where you can get up to 25 window panes washed inside and out for only $129. Call 651-447-4484. No matter the job size, August is the time to save money on your window cleaning. So beat the fall rush and take advantage of Blue Sky Services' August sale prices. Call 651-447-4484. That's Blue Sky Services at 651-447-4484. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. When you think of a Russian souvenir, I bet that Matryoshka, the nesting doll, is the first thing that comes to mind. I'm happy to say that our exhibition of these Matryoshka dolls, which delighted thousands of families over the holidays, has been extended through August 11th. Whether you're from Moscow or Mankato, you'll be stunned by the variety, shapes, and intricate details of this massive collection. Deals on Groupon. Visit us today or online at tmora.org. Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. on LE 2.0 Radio. Hello, listeners. We are back. I don't know about you, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, there are so many lessons for us to learn from his story. There are a lot of books, a lot of movies, a lot of short YouTube videos about his his life and his work. So I recommend that you follow up and maybe check him out. Now, for the interview on LE 2.0 Radio, because our theme is the intersection between... Um, well, our theme is about religion and idealists who practice um, uh, idealism but have a religious connection. And now we're going to talk about the intersection between Zen Buddhism and idealism in general. And I have somebody who I adore, and I think that that is the only right word, um, and so respect here in the audience, here in the studio with me, Busho Lan, 
who is my teacher at the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center. Busho, thank you for being here. Oh, you are so welcome. It is. I'm just thrilled. Oh. I'm thrilled to be here, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me. You know, me. I have wanted to have you on this show for the longest time. I Yay. have, and I just want you to know that. Oh, okay, we've arrived <laughs> because you are, um, and we'll get into it. But to me, you you embody um, idealism. You really do. And so, um, what I we've got some time here to talk about. Um, uh, you know, a little, and we can pick up on Dietrich Bonhoeffer at some point here. But um, uh, you 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 teach. Um, you are one of our spiritual teachers at the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center on Lake Calhoun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, how long have you done that? Well, uh, I first walked through the doors of MZMC back in 1993. Okay. If you can believe it. Quite a long time, but I've been a regular there um, for about a dozen years now and teaching for probably eight. Okay. Something like that, yeah. Well, so why don't we start by uh, you talking about what is Zen Buddhism and how is it a little bit different than, you know, quote-unquote Buddhism in general? Orthodox, yeah. That's a great, great question. Uh, and so the, 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 the short version, because <laughs> it's a great question, which means it's a long answer, <clears throat> the short version that's occurring to me um, this morning is that Zen is a, uh, an expression of the Buddhist tradition that comes to us uh, from China. And it really represents kind of a fusion of Orthodox uh, Indian Buddhism from India uh, with Chinese culture and sensibility and especially uh, the tradition of Taoism. So Zen is uh, sometimes been described as kind of a marriage or the child of the marriage of Taoism from China and uh, Buddhism from India. And we certainly consider ourselves to be uh, a school of Buddhism, um, but you can really strongly see the cultural overlay of uh, earth-affirming uh, Chinese ideas, um, the, the teachings of Taoism with the, the cyclical embrace tension of opposites, uh, formlessness, this kind of stuff that, that wouldn't have been present in quite the same way in traditional Buddhism. So yeah, Zen has got its own, uh, its own unique flavor, and it tends to be um, quicker to embrace humor, uh, quicker to embrace paradox, uh, quicker to embrace not knowing and having that be okay. Um, yeah, it, it matches my personality, <laughs> especially the joke part. Well, um, and you know, so let's talk about compassion as yeah. a fundamental um, principle that, or foundation yeah. as it relates to Buddhism in general, but particularly to Zen Buddhism. How do, where does compassion, and particularly compassion for all humans, but particularly humans who don't have voices. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to start down the road towards idealism. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually the marriage here, uh, the connection with, with idealism is, is really clear. And what a great starting point for us. Yeah, um, you, you say it really well, Ellie, um, with the word foundational. Because ultimately, um, and I think this is accurate, I think Buddhism is, has always been described as medicine to address human suffering. Mm. That's essentially what mm. it all comes down to. The metric in Buddhism is, is this helpful? Does this reduce suffering? You know, And um, compassion comes into play especially, it's in all forms of Buddhism, of course, but it becomes the core ideal, and that's actually the word we use, ideal, right, in what we call Mahayana Buddhism, which is uh, it's the majority of the world's Buddhists. It certainly includes Zen Buddhism. Um, a lot of folks would include Tibetan Buddhism in that mm-hmm. category, Mahayana Buddhism. Yep. And the primacy um, of the teachings of come passion becomes central because what happens here is if our practice, if our goal, if our lives are about the transformation of suffering, we then have to find somehow in ourselves the capacity to be with suffering, to be with the suffering of self and to be with, of course, the suffering of other. And at some point, and this is where the meditation uh, dimensions of some of the uh, types of Buddhism are so are so prized, that the line that we uh, sometimes create between the suffering of a busho and the suffering of an Ellie disappears. And I find the capacity, as all human hearts have, the ability to be present to my own suffering the way that I am present to yours. And I even stop distinguishing because this is about how do I meet, how do I meet suffering with acceptance? love, 
compassion? How do I meet? That's, that's the transformative agent. So everything, I think, in Mahayana Buddhism basically comes to, back to our capacity for compassion. That's our transformative agent. And when we talk about suffering, suffering um, has a various connotations. Yeah. But, in, but as it relates to Buddhism, part of, it is, part of the definition of suffering is our inability to control things and that we, we, we fret, we worry, we... Yes. We, we want to control things that we cannot control. So much. <laughs> and as a result, we suffer for it. Yeah, yeah. Wishing, uh, wishing it to be otherwise right. is one of my favorite kind of shorthands uh, to remind myself, oh, what is this? Oh, yeah, Whitbo. Whitbo, W-I-T-B-O, wishing it to be otherwise. Right. So the, so the distinction we're making, I think, here is um, between pain, you know, stubbing one's toe and experiencing, ouch, uh, and suffering, which I think you say it really well, the, the desire to want to tr- change something, desire to want to control something, uh, having something we don't want, wanting something we don't have. Um, and that's a very human and quality. Then, and hurting for it. Oh, yes. And, of course, the more we want, the more we hurt. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's uh, right. Fundamental human experience. Well, and, and – um, and- this um, you talked uh, a second ago about compassion, both for others and well as for self. Yeah. And I and when I train, you know, listeners, uh, you may remember that I do a lot of training and speaking across uh, North America about the need for us to have compassion for others and for ourselves. And one of the things I say is that it's very difficult to have compassion for others if we are not compassionate towards ourselves. If we're not, yeah. How can we give other people breaks if we're not giving ourselves a break? Yeah. You know, um, we hear that all the time, don't we? We can't love others until we love ourselves. And um, I don't know why this is, but most folks I've worked with, especially intimate, intimately, we tend to almost discount that and kind of skip it. But you're exactly, exactly right, Ellie. Um, and the connection here between the the way Buddhism talks about mind and consciousness makes perfect sense because to the extent that I have uh, understood my suffering, befriended my suffering, um, accepted and transformed it through my own compassion, is my own capacity then to not only see yours, to understand yours, to accept yours, but to bear witness to it without the things that would normally get in my way, my judgment, my resistance, my defenses. Um, people who are able to be deeply present to the suffering of another um, have done enough of their own inner work, enough of their own, um, it's almost like excavation or archaeology into their own history, right? Their own karma, their own past, their own pain, that they don't have, um, they don't have that, uh, the arising of that control impulse that you pointed out. Um, and so when Ellie presents me with her suffering, I, I don't need to control it. I can actually just bear witness to it with love. So th- this connection you're, you're talking about, doing self first, is absolutely crucial. It's hugely important. Well, when we come back from our break, we'll talk more about Buddhism, and then we'll start tying it into idealism. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been li- I've been, this is uh, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I've been speaking with Busho Lan from the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center. We're talking about intersectionality between Buddhism and idealism. When we come back from our break, we'll continue with the interview. Um, And listeners, thanks for listening. Take care, and we'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Get your vehicle's summertime service done at Rudy Luther Toyota. The last thing you need is a breakdown while on a road trip or heading to the lake. Regardless of where you've purchased your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is your number one destination for auto service and repair. Routine maintenance or a larger repair, easily schedule your appointment on their website, RudyLutherToyota.com. I trust them. They're fast, courteous, and they do the job right. Get your vehicle summer ready at Rudy Luther Toyota, five miles west of downtown Minneapolis on 394. Hi, Sarah from Vinaigrette. Farmer's markets are everywhere and summer's bounty is limitless. Try rustic caprese salad using spring mix, fresh mozzarella, grape with cherry tomatoes, red onion, 
fresh basil, garlic olive oil, and our 18-year age balsamic. Or try grilled romaine brushed with Tunisian olive oil. Vinaigrette makes it easy to love your vegetables. Visit us at 50th and Xerxes in South Minneapolis or 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Who's your most trusted companion? Who's with you 24-7? What do you never leave home without? Your phone. But the screen is shattered. Don't panic. Bring it to Computer Revolution with cell phone repair. We have over 18 years experience fixing computer devices, all brands, all carriers. We'll replace that screen and have it back same day. Computer Revolution with cell phone repair in Roseville at Highway 36 in Fairview. Or call 651-633-6600. We fix phones. Same day, seven days a week. Minnesota has a lot going on this summer, and I don't want to miss a moment of it. However, my carpets remind me of the good times later. That's why I call Zero Res. I'm not willing to waste a beautiful summer weekend washing rugs, so don't worry because the carpet cleaning heroes at Zero Res can help. So schedule your cleaning today by calling 952-ZERO-RES, or you can book online at ZeroResMinnesota.com. Don't forget to ask for the special AM 950 listener pricing. Zero Res, spell it backward or forward. It spells the same. With your AM950 weather, I'm Hunter Haas. Monday, slight chance of showers in the morning. Partly sunny with a high near 81. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 81. And Wednesday, sunny with a high near 87. This week's EatLocalMinnesota.com restaurant of the week is Nightingale. The menu is comprised of snacks, bruschettas, and small plates designed for sharing but is sure to satisfy your appetite. Located at 2551 Lindale Avenue South in Minneapolis. Find out more at EatLocalMinnesota.com. On AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. And if you're uh, watching on Facebook Live, you're seeing me seat dance. I'm always seat dancing when we have our music, <laughs> whether you know that or not. I've been uh, speaking with, interviewing uh, Busho Lang from the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center. Uh, Busho also happens to be my teacher, whom uh, I just adore greatly, as I said earlier. Busho, before we broke, we started talking about compassion and compassion for self and for others. And you were here while I was doing the first part of the show about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, 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 and how first, I think, transformed by his experience of being, I mean, a German, okay? Yeah. Being among um, African Americans in Harlem in the early 1930s. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding what, I mean, and, you know, it was not, the world was far less equal way back then. Um, but understanding how that transformed the way he looked at the world into something that, that he needed to act rather than sit back and do theology. Yeah. Um, and so how does that, you know, that experience of him inform maybe something that you know of in, in, in Zen Buddhism mm -hmm. or maybe even you personally in one way or another because mm -hmm. I know that you are you are you are a leader for our community. Well the um the heart opening, you kinda of, you kinda of mentioned this um during the Bonhoeffer piece that a lot of folks who um begin to be guided and led by an ideal have some sort of cracking open, don't they? Some sort of heart opening experience. Yeah. Something that's transformative that um, orients them in a different way. That orients them in a different way. Um, in Zen, we sometimes say this is um, moving from becoming self-centered to becoming life-centered and realizing, oh, my life um, that I care for so much is also the same life as <laughs> the life of the person in the car in front of me and the life of the person that he met in Harlem and the life of the, the Jews back in back in Germany, there's a cracking open and the center changes. So at some point um, at some point when we understand that we actually have the capacity 
to be an instrument for change, there's a huge amount of empowerment, I think, that comes from that. I actually have the capacity to change not only my experience of life, but the experience of others. And I honestly think the, the degree to which our hearts crack open um, is the degree to which we naturally extend the circle of compassion to include others, because the other idea stops being quite so real. There isn't quite so much of an other anymore. I just I love the phrase about our hearts cracking open. Yeah. I mean don't yeah. I mean don't you think that part of what stifles people is that we're afraid to allow our hearts to crack open? Yes. You know we're afraid to show up and and I have a saying so one of my sayings is that 99% of all people are good. 1% total sociopath. I mean, okay. But the other 99% of us have wonderful empathetic hearts, but the vast majority yes are scared to death yeah. to use those hearts because we're afraid of what we will get involved in. Yeah. What it will cost us in terms of time or money. Yes. Or, oh my God, this is overwhelming. It's kind of scary. Why did I stop here? Why did I talk to this human that I would not ordinarily talk to? Yeah, I so agree with that. And fear, um, our, our, the fundamental experience we have of fear, not only is it universal human experience, but uh, spiritual practice, religious identity, um, uh, the work we do with other humans in social capacities, even in family capacities, is I think what starts to soften the clay of our heart. And we start to recognize our own fear and realize, oh, I can transform this. I can transform this. I understand that this wants to keep me small, that it actually wants to keep me safe. It's not an enemy. And yet, if I live by that place, my life gets smaller and smaller. It does. And uh the, and the first step, of course, is labeling it as fear. Yeah, just to recognize, <laughs> oh, I'm a scared mammal. Oh, yes, this is what happens. And then, okay, so what do I want to do with that? What do we do with a scared child? What do we do with a scared puppy? You know, you pick it up and hold it, and something begins to change, right? It becomes braver. It becomes braver because you're absolutely right. Yes, um, fundamental to Buddhism is this idea that uh, you we're awake. We are awakeness. That is our fundamental identity. We are compassion. We are love. We are connection. There is only that. So what would get in the way of that? Oh, misunderstanding. I, I misunderstand. I become scared. I become right. ashamed. I get smaller. I begin to create defenses. I begin to create separation. Oh, I, I understand why I do that. But I also understand because I learned to do that, I can also learn something else. I can return to that original blessing, that original sense of non-separate. Wow. I love thinking that we have the capacity to do that. So what is it about idealists, though, that allow them to step out of that fear and into being willing to, in Bonhoeffer's case, risk his life? Yeah. In the case of other people, to be arrested? Yeah. You know, I'm thinking of Dr. King. Yeah, How course. many times was he arrested? The letters yeah. from the Birmingham jail. You know, um, yeah. other religious leaders who are assassinated. Yeah. You know, what, what, what do you think that it is? And, um, I mean, uh, I'm also remembering the Buddhist monks in Vietnam yeah. and how they protested the war by self-immolation. Self-immolation, yeah. Um, so, what, what do you think that it is? You know, that's such a great question. Um, and there's so many ways we can use language to describe it. Um, uh, some sort of deep conversion experience. I mean, I, that's a term I know we usually associate with the Christian faith, but some sort of radical realignment. That it's, <laughs> it's of course, my project, but it's not mine anymore. It, it's the project. It's the human project, the awakening project, the connection project, the love project. And um, when I see myself as having agency, power, the, the capacity to help that, to change to actually plant seeds in this moment of wisdom, of connection, of compassion, to surrender the idea of small self um, to that is um, natural, actually. There's, well, there's a naturalness to that, yeah. And you do. I mean, you know, I, I come to the center, you, you speak to 50 or 60 or 70 people at a time, and mm -hmm. and when you speak, you are, you are helping humans mm -hmm. Interact with the world in a better way because you're offering us tools to do that. I mean, I, I can attest to that and the power of you in particular because of how articulate you are. And so you just uh, you connect so many dots in such a way. The thing uh, that attracts me to Zen Buddhism is not only about compassion, but aren't Zen Buddhists charged with actively working to spread compassion in yeah. the world? It's not... 
And again, we're back to Bonhoeffer, yes. who could have sat back as a theologian, yes. who could have said this is wrong in Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. and then from uh, you know 5,000 miles away, continued to say it was wrong, but from safety. Yeah. But he actively worked to change Germany, to, to stop the hatred, to spread mm-hmm. compassion. Mm-hmm. So what is it about? Why is Zen do that? Without a doubt. Um, a lot of different reasons, and that's a great observation, because I do think um, we are definitely called to be engaged. In fact, it's, it's inescapable. Um, Zen has a long history of monastic practice, certainly of withdrawal from the world to to begin to look at the heart, to look at the mind, to see the seeds of suffering here and transform those. There is definitely an understanding. If I want to bring peace into the world, I have to have some. You know, there's a strong emphasis on contemplation for that reason. And yet, um, Zen is guided by, um, like all Mahayana Buddhism, is guided by what we call the bodhisattva ideal. The ideal, again, we're back to our favorite word, ideal, idealism. Um, The bodhisattva ideal is to recognize the non-separation of all beings and to recognize we are suffering. There is suffering here. And my vow, vow. my commitment, my if it's lifetime after lifetime after lifetime or just moment after moment is there is suffering. I will be an agent of transformation for that suffering. And and I know that, you know, that is why I do my work. Yeah. I mean that, and it sounds so cliche. Yeah, I mean the reason. It's not though, is it? <laughs> no, it's really real. No, it is, and I mean that is. I mean, people, um, um, we're going down a side street here. So bear with me. I mean, I got asked last week. You know, don't you get tired of it? You know, speaking and training, and I'm on track to do 130, 140 trainings or talks this year, and, and my response back is, no. Yeah. No, not I at all, it. because yeah. this. This energizes me because I can see in the room that maybe one or two yep. people are like totally connecting with what I am talking about, about our need to be better to each other, about yeah. how to be more welcoming to other humans. You say that perfectly. There is no exhaustion there. No. I super get that. And, and that is a sign that you're tapped into something, right? There is something going on there. And in that moment, I know this moment you're describing so well. Um, on a personal level, the little tiny individual, Busho, he gets tired all the time. He's complaining and cranky and <laughs> exhausted. But in that moment, something else happens. It isn't me anymore. There isn't me anymore. There's this big thing happening. And to get to be one small part of that, one atom of that wave right. of compassion or love, it's a, you'd give your life for that. And the wave is a great metaphor because all kinds of particles come together yeah. to do it. And I can see in my room as I'm doing my trainings, I can see like a wave being yes. created by people. That's exactly you right. You know, and this is not about, you know, how great the trainings are. It's about helping humans understand that they can connect with each yeah. other, that we have all of these commonalities, yeah. that we, we make these decisions based on people by their, their appearance or mm-hmm. by the religion that they practice or by, yeah. you know, um, whatever else that we use to group yeah. and label humans. And how intimately those things become connected to our fear. And so, wow, the time that I spend every day in meditation going, oh, hi, fear, I see you. <laughs> this is what this is about. Oh, you begin to tame that. You begin to transform come have that. Some, come have some tea. Uh, come have some tea. Come <laughs> have some tea. I will not feed you. <laughs> but I will, I will allow you in for tea. I see that you're here. Again, I see that you're trying to keep me safe. I'm beginning to, dis- to disarm that. And so then later on in the day when my fear arises because there is something that I don't recognize. Oh, Ah, I recognize this. This is that fear thing that happens. Oh, right. There's no enemy in the room here. There's just me having a fear response. And I already know what to do with that. Hi, fear. Hi. Hi. Hi there. Right. Oh, you're here. Okay, why don't you sit here, sweetie? But I'm gonna, <laughs> you can sit down there. I'm not going to let you drive. I'll let you sit here next to me because I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to go into this circumstance. And I do have fear. Yes, that's right. And I'm going to work past it because there's something bigger than fear. There's Absolutely. something truer than fear. Fear comes and fear goes. It's a function of our physicality, but there's also something way bigger than that going on. All right. Well, we're going to run out of time here. So the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center, located where? And Um, if if listeners want to know more and maybe come... How do they do that? Please, yes. Uh, we, uh, we do a lot, of intro, uh, a lot of intro programming for folks who are new to Zen, even if you're not that into Buddhism. We certainly do a lot of meditation offerings. Uh, Minnesota Zen Center is on the east shore of, in the uptown area of Minneapolis of Lake Bidet, Makaska what used to be Lake Calhoun. Um, our website is mnzencenter.org, and everything we do is there. 
Right, and there are check it out. And people can come on Sunday mornings and listen to Dharma talks, which are teachings, lectures. Yep, Sundays and Tuesdays, intro classes and talks. They're welcome any day. Well, Busho, uh, I have just so enjoyed having you on this show. I, I, I want to have you back another time. I would so that love we it. Can this talk is a gift more. to me. Uh, well, you oh, are yeah. you are wonderful. you are a gift to me and to yeah. the world. Thank you. So we've been speaking with Busho Lan from the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center about the intersectionality between Buddhism and idealism. Hopefully um, you've found this enjoyable. I've found it fascinating. Thank you. Um, not because I'm in the conversation, but because I get to listen to Busho. Um, when we come back, I'll do my last segment, my C segment, a little bit about my work and what I've uh, recently encountered at a church. Hi. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. We need Richard Painter in the United States Senate. I'm Mari Pokonowski, and the former president of the DFL Feminist Caucus. Our democracy is under siege by the Trump administration. Foreign influence is unchecked as politicians exploit power for private gain rather than for public good. The corruptive influence of money in politics makes government unresponsive to the people. For 25 years, Richard Painter has been speaking out against corruption on Wall Street and in Washington. Now, we need him fighting for us in the Senate. He'll fight foreign-owned mining companies seeking to pollute our waterways. He's not taking any PAC money and will fight against money in politics and corruption on all levels of government. He'll fight to initiate investigations and hearings for the treasonous behaviors of President Trump. This is a unique candidate. Please join me in voting for Richard Painter in the DFL primary on August 14th. I'm Richard Painter, and I approve this message. Ad prepared and paid for by Painter Minnesota. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on Ellie, Ellie 2.0 Radio. Oh my God, what a great interview with Busho Lan from the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center. I don't know about, I mean, where else are you going to get a conversation about Zen Buddhism and idealism? I don't know. I don't think you're going to get it anywhere else. And then throwing in, you know, about a, you know, a German dissident in uh, the 1930s who paid, you know, for his dissidence with his life, um, a religious dissident. Um, I, I, I'm trying to make it all work. Hopefully it's working in your minds. We are now on my last segment, my C block, where I talk about a little bit about my work and about my experience as a practical idealist. And so our theme today is about religion and intersectionality between religion and idealism. 
So a little bit about me, um, hopefully not on the TMI level. Um, I was uh, raised Catholic, and um, my uh, religious education began in the mid-1960s, and my religious education, my catechism was taught by nuns. Um, and I learned early on um, that I was a sinner, um, and, and the analogy at that time was that my soul was like a milk bottle, and that every time I sinned, which was, uh, I was told very regularly, um, the milk bottle got dirty, dirtier and dirtier, until you would go to confession and then confess your sins to uh, the priest, and then the milk bottle would become clean again, and then the whole process started all over again. Somewhere along the way, I also learned that I needed to self-sacrifice, that a good Catholic, and, and, and again, I'm not here to bash the Catholic faith, please understand that, I'm just talking about my take, how I grew up. And somewhere along the way, I learned that I needed to self-sacrifice, and that a good Catholic did that. I've got to tell you that both of those components about being a sinner, as well as the need to self-sacrifice, created a lot of problems for me later in life. And uh, it was one of the reasons why it took me so long to deal with my gender identity issues. I did not transition until I was age 52. So that was the backdrop, and then I did become Buddhist. And uh, you just heard about how um, Buddhism, uh, one, of the, one of the primary precepts about it is facing fear, about how we suffer as a consequence of our fear. And it was only through that that I was able to get past um, my gender identity issues and face the fears that I had, including the fear that I would be alone, as I would not have someone to love me um, uh, once I transitioned genders. And that, for the most part, has proved to be the case. So I'm very single at the moment, and that's all right. Now, fast forward to the spring. Um, you can imagine um, some angst that I had about being invited to speak at a Catholic church. I was asked to speak, and I did speak, uh, one Sunday morning. I did it twice at St. Joan of Arc in South Minneapolis. And um, I really didn't know very much about St. Joan uh, of Arc. And, um, uh, but I was invited, and I went. They gave me 12 minutes, <laughs> exactly. And if you Google my name, Ellie Krug, St. Joan of Arc, you will see a video of me speaking, and you will see that I'm actually take a second to set my phone uh, to count down to 12, min 12 minutes, uh, so I didn't go over time. I'm very neurotic about going over time. And I spoke um, to dovetail about what we just I just spoke with with um, uh, Busho uh, Busho Lan. I spoke about what I call the four commonalities that all humans have four things in common, regardless of the color of their skin, their race, their ethnicity, their, their religion or LGBTQ status. Those four things are, first, that all humans want children to succeed. Second, that all humans want to be free of physical or emotional violence. Third, that all humans want 20 minutes of peace. We're all old enough that we're not going to get 100% peace, but... We all want 20 minutes out on the patio watching the sun go down, drinking our favorite beverage without somebody in the background shouting, Hey, honey, where is the... And last but not least, all humans want to love and be loved. And I, I talked at St. Joan of Arc about those four commonalities. I didn't really talk very much about being transgender other than understanding the need for me to love myself um, and that in order for me to do that I needed to address a lot of things um, and that I, you know, did break a lot of hearts um, and we don't need to get into all of that but, but I didn't know how St. Joan of Arc's um, parishioners would react. I had, I think, between the two talks over a thousand people who heard me speak um, and at least one of those talks, I did get an idea of how they reacted because um, I got a standing ovation from them. Now, I had to stay for both Masses, okay, which I've got to tell you, that's the first time I went through Mass in a Catholic church in over 10 years. And then I soon realized that St. Joan of Arc is really not your standard Catholic church. I realized that 
They bring in speakers like me all the time to talk about social justice issues. That's the beginning of the Mass. The only thing that told me it was a Catholic Mass was the communion. Otherwise, it didn't look Catholic at all. They, they blessed a number of different people who were going to go on missionary work to Central America, social justice work. And at the end of the Mass, they, it was two, two minutes of lights out and reflection on bringing peace to the world. I am not kidding you. Lights out. Let's, talk, let's think about how we can make the world more peaceful. Wow. And then afterwards, I stuck around after both talks, and people came up to me and said things that were very incredible. And they were very, very welcoming. It was not, as I said, the Catholic Church that I remembered. And it helped me feel much better, frankly, about being there. It also helped me understand that my work, the work that I am doing, is crossing all kinds of boundaries. And that it does appeal to all humans. Because in the end, as we talked with Bouchot, all humans are good. We are. We want, we want everyone to be okay. We just are afraid. And we need to get past that fear. Now, like Bonhoeffer, I'm not that brave. I don't know if I would risk my life for my idealism. I would like to think that I would. But I will tell you this. I will not rest. I will show up wherever, including at Catholic churches, to speak about how all humans have so many things in common and how if we get past our fear of quote-unquote other, we can be good to each other. I hope that you've liked this show. I hope that you've enjoyed the perspective that I bring. I am trying my best to make this world a better place. And with your help... Listeners, I can do that. Please tell others about this show. Please visit my website at elliekrug.com. Please email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com or at elli2.0radio at gmail.com. That's elli2.0radio at gmail.com. Tell others about the show. I need to give a big thanks to my sponsors, the Pride Institute, which is a drug and alcohol residential and outpatient recovery center, and Brending Electrolysis in St. Paul. Contact Bev. Let her know that I sent you. Um, she does really great work. And a big shout-out right now to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are absolutely the best. And listeners, a shout-out to you. Thank you for supporting this show and me. I'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you.